y'all sing this with us. Let love explode and bring the dead to life. And love so bold to see a revolution somehow. Now I'm lost in your freedom. And this world I'll overcome. My God's not dead, he's surely alive.
but my cabin will do till I get home. My mansion's yonder on the hills of glory. Oh, I hope my mansion sits near the throne. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus and tell the angels I'm coming home. It doesn't matter who lives around me, just so my mansion sits near the throne. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. What a glorious celebration that's gonna be. Listen now. My mother's mansion may be close by me, just across the golden avenue. She was the first one to teach me of heaven and the very, very first one, Lord, to tell me about you. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus and tell the angels I'm coming home. It doesn't It's near the throne. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus and tell all my loved ones I'm on my way home. It doesn't matter who lives around me. Just It's near the throne. Oh, I want my mansion next to the throne. I stand amazed in the prayer.
try to make you laugh this morning. I saw this video, and um, it's, on a, it's on an app called TikTok. You've probably heard it, uh, heard of it. It's something popular among the kids, but this guy gets on there. Y'all look real nervous right now because I just brought up TikTok. Uh, like, oh my goodness, what is he about to share? Um, but anyway, this guy gets up there, and the caption was, how preachers drink water on Sunday morning, right? So I'm like, oh, well, I got to watch this. And so this guy, he, he walks in front of the camera, and he goes, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this church. And uh, thank you so much for being here. And I, it made me laugh. I was hoping to make you laugh too. But uh, maybe it's just something preachers get. But anyway, um, I'm thankful to be here this morning. We are going into Thanksgiving. Um, I, I love this church. I've been here, if you can believe it, for seven years now. Um, it's been a while. Um, but I'm always thankful for the opportunity to fill the pulpit for Ron. I'm so thankful that he gets opportunities to go and rest and relax and, and just... Um, be with Becky, he gets those times of uh, vacation, uh, but I'm thankful for a pastor who believes in me and trusts me enough to let me fill the pulpit for him. Um, I'm going to pray this morning, and I'm uh, thankful for my mom and, and stepdad being here as well. Thank you guys for coming down. Um, it's like a two-hour drive, one and a half maybe, but they're, they're here, they're going to stay for lunch, and so we get to spend time together, and I'm thankful for that. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we, as we go into Thanksgiving this year, Lord, I pray that our, our hearts are not on how well the turkey is going to be cooked. I pray that our hearts aren't on that one ant that always shows up and uh, makes a fool of herself. That one person in our family that gets on our nerves. Lord, I hope that our hearts focus on the things that you have blessed us with. Focuses on being thankful for who you are and thankful for the blessings that you have given us. Lord, as we go into this message this morning, I pray that you teach us something new. And if you don't teach us something new, remind us of something that maybe has slipped our minds. But Lord, don't let us forget it. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, I'm not doing a Thanksgiving message, just so you know. Um, but there's something that I struggled with a while back. Um, and most of y'all know my story. I went to, I, I came down here from Greenville, and um, I was at a church for six months. Um, it was kind of a rough situation, but I was there for six months, was let go um, over some random stuff, uh, but not to dive too much into that. It, it really messed with my brain being let go after six months. Um, like, I felt like, man, I'm called to youth ministry, uh, but is this really... This is really what I want to do with the rest of my life? Because like I said, it was a rough situation. And so I began to question my calling because of the situation. And I came to this realization that my, my problem wasn't the situation. My problem was that I put my image in the fact that I was a youth pastor. I'd gone to school for years um, studying to become a youth pastor. Um, and then I finally get that position, right? Like me and Paula got married. We moved down here for probably three months. Um, and we knew we were looking for a church. I worked in the school district for like two or three months, and then I got, I got the call, right? Like, hey, Philip, you're coming up to the big leagues, right? And so here I go. I go to this small church in Greenville, and like I'm the youth pastor at this church, right? Like that's kind of how I thought of myself, um, and, and I was putting way too much of my image um, and, and who I was into that title, but I don't think I'm the only person that kind of struggles with that, um, struggles with our image, not like our, you look in the mirror and you struggle with that image, but like the image we portray to other people, right? Everyone on Facebook wants to have the perfect life, so you portray the perfect life. Um, you always put the good pictures up, but don't ever tell about the bad times, right? You, you always, oh yeah, I went here, like it's your bragging place, right? I just bought this new car, I just... I just did this, and, and far too often we're too worried about the image that we are portraying to other people, and, and we care far too little about the image that we have in God's eyes. And so I know I'm not the only person that struggles with that. And so we're going to look at a story today in 2 Samuel. Um, so you can go ahead and flip there, but it's, it's in the Old Testament if you don't know. It's, it's 2 Samuel. There's um, it's supposed to be one book, one whole book, but because of scroll length, now we have a 1 Samuel and a 2 Samuel. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory so we can lead into this part um, that we're going to look at. Um, Samuel, this whole, I mean, this whole narrative is just fantastic. I encourage you to go home and read First and 2 Samuel as a whole 
Um, it's just this beautiful picture of God working even through the failures of man. And so, start off with Hannah, and she has a son after praying for so long, not having a kid. Um, she has a son named Samuel, um, and he's the prophet for Israel at that time. Israel goes through this rough time where they're like, hey, we keep getting defeated here and defeated there. The only thing that these people have that we don't is we, we don't have a king. And so they go to Samuel and say, we need a king. And Samuel's like, Lord, they're not doing it for the right reasons. And, and God's like, I know, but we'll give them a king. And so they appoint Saul. And Saul is the king at the time, and he's, he seems like the perfect candidate. He's tall, he's good-looking, he's strong, he can lead an army. He just seems like the perfect candidate, but he had a, he had a, a few moral failings. Like, he liked to lie a lot. Um, he was very prideful. He was very proud of himself. Um, and so these things that eventually led to his downfall. Um, and I know a lot of you have probably heard the story of David and Goliath. Um, they're in a battle, and, and David comes up after he's uh, anointed to be king one day. He's not the king yet. He comes up, and, and he kills Goliath with a stone, and Saul sees that and um, says, I'm going to make you in charge of all my armies. Well, because of David's humility, we, we see him become more and more powerful in that position. The people begin to like him more and more and more. And guess what happens to prideful Saul? He starts to get jealous, right? And so he starts to chase David. And, and of course, I am like really like super condensing the story. Um, but anyway, he starts to chase David through the wilderness. David, David runs. Um, David actually has a few in, uh, opportunities to kill Saul because Saul was trying to kill David. Uh, but he, he decides not to take them and, and show grace in that moment. But then eventually Saul dies, um, kind of a... Uh, a brutal death, but he, he dies, and um, we see this picture of David who laments over the death of his enemy. Like, I don't know if someone's trying to chase me and kill me, if they die, if I'm going to go, Lord, we have lost such a great person, like David did. Like, I'm probably going to be like, yes, right? Um, I, don't know that, <laughs> I don't know that anybody would have that reaction of, Lord, we have lost such a great leader and blah, 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 right? I feel like in my heart, I'd probably be like, yes, he's gone. I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to run through the wilderness. Um, but we see this humility in David um, into the first chapter of Second Samuel. And, and David does a few great things because the elders of Israel come to him and ask him to do so. Um, he brings Israel back together as a whole. Um, they're split up into tribes. He brings them back together as whole. He takes back over Jerusalem, makes Jerusalem the political capital of all of Israel. And then he's like, you know what? We need to make, the elders come to him again and say, hey, we need to make this also the spiritual capital of Israel. And that includes the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and so they needed to go get the Ark of the Covenant. It's been in exile for, I think it's like 60 years now. And so they try to go get this Ark of the Covenant. I wanted to find a picture. If you didn't know what it looked like, it's a box, right? Um, without God being in it, it's, it's just a, it's a box. It was made out of wood. It was covered in gold on the inside and the outside. Um, it had that lid on top called the mercy seat where the, those are called cherubim. They're angels on top. Um, but it was called the mercy seat. Um, it, it represented the Lord's presence. And, and um, all through the wilderness as, they were, as the Israelites were traveling to get to the promised land, this was 
you know, they set up the tabernacle. This was in the Holy of Holies. Nobody was able to go in there except for the high priest. Um, and if the high priest wasn't, like, wasn't right and he went into the Holy of Holies, he would drop dead. So fun little fact, they had to tie a rope to their leg. And as they went in, if they heard a thud, people were like, there goes another one. Then they pull them out. Um, but anyway, uh, the, sorry. Um, Anyway, they, the, ta- the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. This is what represented the presence of the Lord. So you can imagine why the elders were like, we need to get the Ark of the Covenant back into the central place of Israel. It represented the presence of the Lord. Um, and now the, the Israelites knew this. Um, the reason it went into exile, I thought this was funny. Um, the reason it went into exile is because the Israelites were a little stubborn um, at times. Like all the time. But anyway, um, they took the Ark of the Covenant. Instead of praying to God in the middle of this battle and saying, Lord, please bring us a victory. We, we are trusting in you. They just dragged this thing out. Like, here we go. Look at our famous artifact. Here it is. And they expected that to win the battle. And God's like, that's not how this works. Like, you're putting your faith in, in a box. You're not putting your faith in me. And so he allowed the Philistines to take them over. The Philistines took the ark. Um, the Philistines did not have a fun time with it. There were a bunch of plagues uh, because that's not where it belonged. But anyway, it kind of bounced around, but it was never back in the center of Israel until David brought it back. And that's kind of where we're picking up here in chapter 6, um, where David is bringing the ark back into Israel. Um, so we're going we're gonna to be in verse 16. But David goes and takes 30,000 uh, young men, 30,000 people to go get one Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so just this massive parade of people. And you know, you're not supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant, so they built this cart and was going to have it pulled by oxen. Not supposed to do that either. But anyway, um, they built the cart, it was being pulled by oxen, and they get to the threshold of the city, and the oxen stumble. And this guy named Uzzah, U-Z-Z-A-H, that's the best way I can pronounce his name is Uzzah. But he, out of instinct, I don't know that he was being like irreverent or what. I think out of instinct he just saw the Ark of the Covenant falling and he was like, oh no, right? And God struck him dead right there because it was, he wasn't supposed to touch it. And so David gets scared at this moment. He's like, uh, the wrath of God is like on this thing, so we don't need this in the city center of all of Israel. Let's leave it right here, right? In the house of Obed-Edom, we're going to leave it right here. It'll be fine. And so they all go back to their day jobs. It was there for three months. And somebody comes up to King David and says, hey, do you realize that the house of Obed-Edom has been like richly blessed? Like anything and everything they do, it's being blessed. And David's like, oh, I guess it was not. Like his wrath isn't on this. So they go back and get it again and this time they are carrying it, but they bring it into the city center. And that's where we're picking up in verse 16. And uh, it says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, uh, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. 
And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave them a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. It's a lot of people because there were like 30,000 men in that. Like, that's a lot of cake uh, being given out. But um, he gives it out to all, both men and women and all the people went to their homes. And so David's done like this awesome thing, right? And then he goes to his own house. He said, I'm going to, he says, when David returned home to bless his own household, Michal, daughter of Saul, um, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and his, of his servants as any vulgar feller would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. He says, I will become more, even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And so we see this picture of David coming into the city, and you know, Michal is in the palace or whatever, and so she can see them coming from afar, and she sees, uh, it's hard to miss 30,000 people, right? And so she sees them, she sees the Ark of the Covenant, and she looks down, and she's like, ugh, what is that king doing, right? What in the world? Because sees, she sees them twirling and twisting and dancing and, and, and all, like, looks of it not looking like a king, kind of looking silly. And so she gets upset about it, and she confronts him about it. Um, when David returned to his household, she came out and told him how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Remember, she's the daughter of the former king who was the type of ruler to sit on his throne and demand respect because he was prideful. And so that's what she grew up seeing, like a king should be on his throne in his kingly robes, not in this, um, it was described that he was in a linen ephod, which um, I know she says that he's, you know, half naked, um, but truthfully, he's like in priestly robes. He's not like actually half naked. When, it, when you go back to the original text, um, he talks about revealing himself. And in the same way that this term is used in other sections, it's like God revealing himself. So the king is really in this moment revealing himself like as for the first time in a major way before anyone and everyone who could see. And his wife, the daughter of the former king, did not think that this is the way you should be distinguishing yourself as a king. Like, you look silly. Guys, how many times has your wife looked at you? You just look silly. I know it's probably a number of times um, from my wife that she's stop. Just, you look silly. Um, maybe not silly is the word, but um, <laughs> she looks at him and says, stop. This is not like... You are disgracing yourself before these slave girls that are out there just watching. But I love David's response. And he comes back and her says, I wasn't dancing in front of all these people. I was dancing in front of the Lord. I wasn't dancing for their approval. I was dancing for the Lord. 
And he says, it was me that he appointed ruler and over everything, over your father, over anyone from his household. It was me that he appointed to be the king of Israel. And he says, this line, I will become even more undignified than this moment. I will be humiliated in my eyes. And he has this line that says, but before the slave girls you, you were talking about, I will be held in honor. And what he's talking about is he, he's doing what the Lord has called him to do. He's following the Lord. He's not trying to earn the, the love of the people by sitting in the king's chair and, and doing what the king before him did. And so he's going to be honored by those people, and he's not going to be demanding respect like the former king. Um, and there's a few things that we can learn from David in this time. Um, the first one is we can learn to be aware of who we are. Like, I feel like when we're on social media, when we're buying the things that we can't afford to impress people we don't like, um, when we're doing these things in our lives that are so, uh, I don't know, like a status for us, um, no, my kid has to go to this school because of this reason. No, I have to have this car because it's going to look this way. I, I have this job title, right? Um, whenever we're doing this, I think we're losing the image that God has placed on us, like who God has made us to be. Um, and we're trying to force ourselves to look better in front of people. Um, and really our life goal should be uh, uh, being good in front of the Lord. So we need to be aware of what God has called us to be. Like he may have called you to that job where you're making a lot of money. But that doesn't mean you go and brag about, oh yeah, I got a bunch of money, right? No, you give honor and, and glory to the Lord because he's called you to be where you are in that moment. Saul, or David had every reason just to go, look at me. I am the king, Right? He, I'm not going down there and dancing. Like He had every reason and every right to go, I'm not doing that. I am the king. People need to respect me. But instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to celebrate. I'm always going to celebrate in front of him. So we need to be aware. David was fully aware of who he was. I don't know if I'm in the wrong spot. David needs to be fully, David was fully aware of who he was and what he was called to be. But he was also fully aware that he was God's child first. And I think we lose that image in our lives. Second thing we can learn is be humble. David over and over and over again displayed this humility in his life. Um, and that goes back to you have this job title, but be humble about who you are. Don't be bragging. God may have blessed you to be you know, the quarterback in an NFL. But that's not who you are. You are first a child of God. Be humble in your life. And the last one is don't be afraid to follow the Lord. Like David danced, making himself look silly in front of everyone because he felt like that's what the Lord warranted in that moment. He was following the Lord no matter what it looked like to his wife, no matter what it looked like to anyone else, he followed the Lord. So first, be aware of who you are. Second, be humble. And third, don't be afraid to follow the Lord. Um, because remember, in Genesis, it says that God created us to be his image bearers. 
I have another picture um, that me and my buddy made. There you go. God made us to be image bearers. Um, that's my youth ministry brain right there. Um, woman. Anyway, I thought it was funny. Um, there's a lot of things that I think is funny. My wife does not. But anyway, God, that's just a silly picture to show you. We, we are um, image bearers of the Lord. Like, that's how he created us. He created us to, to reflect his image to the people around us. And so many times we lose focus of the fact that we are to be an image bearer of the Lord, not ourselves. And we lose, we lose a part of ourselves in that. And so God tells us, he get, he, Jesus told us he came to give us life to the fullest. And I think life to the fullest is, is realizing that we need to be an image bearer of the Lord, not worry about what other people think of us, because we, we get caught up in that way too much. And really their opinion doesn't matter, because on the last day, on Judgment Day, we're not going to stand before the people around us. We're going to be standing before the Lord Almighty. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to I be the image bearer. I want to hear, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. So you can learn a few things from David. Be aware of who the Lord has made you. Be humble, because he didn't make you who you are to brag about yourself. And lastly, uh, don't be afraid to serve him, because I think when we get caught up in our own image, we hinder ourselves from serving the Lord. Because when we're so caught up in our image to the people around us, we are serving ourselves. So look at David's story. Follow his example. Not like further in, don't look at a lady on top of a rooftop and then cheat and kill that. Don't follow that example. But follow, even after all that, um, David had a, a wonderful life and a heart for the Lord. Make sure your heart's in the right place. In Sunday school, we're talking about Jonah. And God was just making sure Jonah's heart was in the right place. And we talked about it this morning. God asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And we talked about how anger is a, it's, I mean, it's an emotion that we're going to feel. And the Lord knows that. But in that moment, Jonah's heart was not in the right place. Make sure your heart's in the right place. Make sure you're, you are portraying the Lord to other people, not just portraying your new car to other people. Make sure you're, you're sharing Jesus with other people, not just sharing your last vacation with other people. Social media is cool. Social media is fun. But it's dangerous in the fact that we put out an image that's not real. And in this day and age of social media, authenticity and being real is what is valued over anything else. So be the image bearer of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, again, are thankful for what you do in our lives. Lord, we are so humbled by everything that you do for us. Lord, as we go from this place today, I pray that we don't just come and forget about it. 
Lord, I pray that we, we take this image of, of you that you've given us and spread it to anyone and everyone that you put in our path. So Lord, give us, allow us to know who we are in you. Allow us to be humble and give you glory. And allow us to be bold and not...
of the air I breathe. 